0: Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Bob Kellerman about two of his books, Gospel-Centered Marriage Counseling and Gospel-Centered Family Counseling. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Bob Kellerman is academic dean, dean of students and professor of biblical counseling at Faith Bible Seminary in Lafayette, Indiana. Bob is also the founder and CEO of RPM Ministries through which he speaks, writes, and consults on biblical counseling and Christian living. Dr. Kellerman also served as the founding executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Bob and his wife, Shirley, have been married for 40 years and have two adult children and three granddaughters. He is the author of 20 books, including his most recent release, Consider Your Counsel, addressing 10 Mistakes in Our Biblical Counseling. Hey there, Bob. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today.
1: Hi, Christine. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm really excited to get a chance to connect with you. I've been following your ministry online for a while now, and this is the first time I've had the opportunity to actually speak with you. And so today we're going to be talking about two new resources that have recently been released on the topics of gospel-centered counseling for families and also for marriages. And so I guess before we get started in our conversation today, would you spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write these two resources?
1: Sure, Christine, that's a great way to start. Well, there's a a personal motivation and also a broader ministry training motivation for these two books. So first, personally, prior to deciding to write this two book series, I had taught marriage and family counseling for nearly a quarter century. I provided marriage and family counseling for over three decades. And then one of the pastors at the church where I was serving wanted to move into semi-retirement. So he wanted to transition some of his marriage and family counseling to me. And I can remember the scene vividly. He reaches across his desk, hands me three very thick file folders and says, in my 35 years of ministry, these are the most difficult cases I have ever worked with. (laughs) And my first thought was, well, thanks a lot for giving those to me. And my second and perhaps more arrogant thought was, well, I've done this stuff and taught this stuff for decades. This won't be that difficult for me. Well, you can probably guess, Christine, where I'm headed next. Once I took on those counseling cases, I found them to be the most complex marriage and family situations I had ever worked with. And I found myself often repeating the biblical principle that, we are not competent in ourselves, but our competency is in Christ, Second Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. And I also found myself scouring the Scriptures from cover to cover, really, in a, in a sense, restudying the Bible's teaching on marriage and family ministry. So Gospel-Centered Marriage Counseling and Gospel-Centered Family Counseling Not only come out of 30-plus years of ministry and teaching, but the books were really born out of my intense desire to keep growing as a biblical marriage and family counselor. So that was a personal motivation. As far as a broader training motivation, if you look at the landscape of Christian publishing— We have tons of books on a theology of marriage and family and on married life and family living, but we really have next to nothing about how to do marriage and family counseling, especially in our biblical counseling world, which is kind of surprising. And if you look at the typical Bible college or seminary curriculum in counseling, we have a lot of training in individual counseling, but next to no training in the how-tos of marriage and family counseling. So my goal in writing these two books is really to fill this void Uh, one that I felt in my own life in ministry and one that I see in the broader Christian world.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited that these are resources that are available, um, especially to those who are maybe just getting introduced to even what gospel-centered counseling is in in practice and also just the theology of it. Before we go any further, it might even be helpful if there are people who are listening to this show who are maybe new to soul care, biblical counseling, you know, that type of using words like gospel-centered counseling, and they're just not really even sure what is that even mean? How does that look in terms of some kind of a definition? So maybe you could explain and perhaps share what gospel-centered counseling is and and how it differs from other kinds of counseling methods? And I know that's a really big, (laughs) that's a big question, but maybe you could just scratch the surface for us.
1: Yeah, I think we could think of it like this. And when a struggling couple or a hurting family comes to us for counseling, Many of us as biblical counselors, our first inclination to turn to Ephesians 5 for marriage counseling and to Ephesians 6 for family counseling. So what do we do? We interact about husband and wife roles and about parent and child responsibilities. And of course, these are all great marriage and family discipleship topics. But if we're not careful, we can become focused on surface behavioral change. But that's not Paul's focus in Ephesians. I mean, remember, Paul didn't start Ephesians with chapters 5 and 6, of course. So gospel-centered marriage and family counseling kind of asks this question, Christine, what difference should Ephesians 1 through 4 make in how we apply Ephesians 5 to 6 in marriage and family counseling? So let me just kind of walk briefly through Ephesians 1 through 4 and what I call the four G's of gospel-centered counseling, which would be true for marriage counseling, family counseling, individual counseling. The first G would be God's glory. So Ephesians 1 is all about the glory of God, and gospel-centered marriage and family counseling helps couples and families first to reorient themselves to living for God's eternal glory. If we don't start with this gospel-centered focus, then our motivation for Ephesians 5 through 6 change can be temporal happiness of the couple rather than God's eternal glory. Gospel-centered counseling really starts with this Eternal background of why we even want to change and have godly marriages. Then that second G in Ephesians 2 1 to 3 is guilty before God. Ephesians 1 to 3 is all about our guilt before God. So marriage and family change really requires our humble repentance of our sinful self sufficiency and self centeredness. Without this focus, gospel centered counseling and change, we'd really focus on changing our behavior without changing our heart attitude. So gospel-centered marriage counseling, family counseling, focuses on repentance to God and confession to one another. The third G is grace for salvation. Ephesians 2, 4 through 22 is all about God's grace for our salvation. It teaches that marriage and family healing, health, and holiness begin with grace, Christ-saving grace, which changes us at the heart level. Without this gospel-centered focus, we would think that marriage and family life is a self-improvement project done by our own works apart from God's grace. And that final G of gospel-centered counseling is growth and grace. We see this in Ephesians 3 and 4. And this gospel-centered focus teaches us that marriage and family change occurs as we apply Christ's resurrection power to our marriage and family relationship. Again, without this gospel-centered focus, we might think that change is done in our own power. So I guess, Christine, in short, we could say gospel-centered marriage and family counseling applies the gospel, those four Gs, God's glory our guilt before God, God's grace for our salvation, and growth in grace for our salvation as a foundation for marriage and family heart health. And I guess one other way to think about it, in the secular world, short-term solution-focused brief therapy is kind of all the rage. And if we're not careful, if we don't have this gospel-centered focus, even our biblical counseling can lean that way toward that solution-focused surface behavioral change, whereas gospel-centered counseling really focuses on these heart change for God's glory.
0: I really appreciate you outlining it and defining it in that way. And it's really helpful to me just to reflect on even how people in the past have, we've had Scott Mell on the show before, and he was talking about how, you know, it's about God's goals for our life and not necessarily like you were talking about the short-term goals of, you know, I just want a happy marriage. I just want my kids to listen. Not those short-term goals, but really setting goals even in our counseling practice that align with what God's goals are for our life. And I think the four Gs that you just outlined are really helpful in in framing that. So thank you so much for taking the time to just explain that for us. Now, Bob, from what you write in the books, gospel-centered marriage counseling and gospel-centered family counseling focus on equipping the counselor to equip the couple or family to equip each other. That is a lot of equipping. So how do you go about that? What's different or unique about the way you crafted gospel-centered marriage counseling and gospel-centered family counseling?
1: That is a lot of equipping, isn't it? You know, the subtitle each book really communicates the difference, an equipping guide for pastors and counselors. And there was even an original subtitle that was perhaps even a bit clearer, a how-to training manual for pastors and counselors. So I designed the books not just for readers, but I like to think of it as for participants. Each book equipped counselors in 22 marriage or family counseling competencies. And then in each chapter, you go through two or three of those counseling skills. And after each of those two or three sections, you find four or five practical application questions. And so if my math is right, by the time a reader or participants completed one of the books, they've worked through over 250 skill development exercises. You know, that's why I really like to think of the book, Christine, as as a workbook, a how to training manual for marriage counseling or family counseling. the books also include scores of counseling vignettes, you know, stories of couples with complex family complex marriage struggles and, and stories of families with messy relationships. I use their stories to illustrate how to put into practice each of the various counseling skills that the books talk about. Then in addition, each book has hundreds of counseling dialogues, what I even call trilogues, where we bring God's Word into the conversation. These are sample scriptural explorations and spiritual conversations that illustrate how counselors can empower couples and families to richly apply God's Word to their lives and relationships. So in in summary, the real difference is these really are workbooks. They're not just content books, but they're books to work through and step by step grow more competent in our biblical marriage and family counseling.
0: Bob, after just hearing you explain that, is this also applicable for for use maybe in a small group study or with other friends who are maybe biblical counselors or interested in becoming biblical counselors? I'm just wondering if these are resources that can be used in in a group study.
1: Absolutely. They're really similar to one of my earlier books, Gospel Conversation, which takes the same model and applies it to doing individual counseling. And I personally have led literally over a hundred small groups lab through that book. And so gospel-centered family counseling, gospel-centered marriage counseling is absolutely designed not only for individual work, but also small group work, lab work, counseling classes in a seminary or Bible college setting.
0: Oh, that's really awesome. In the books, you use an approach to biblical counseling that focuses on four compass points of sustaining, healing, reconciling, and guiding. I know it's a lot to distill into one brief answer, but can you introduce these compass points for us and perhaps illustrate what they look like in marriage counseling?
1: Yeah. Anybody that's read anything I've written, Christine, these four terms, they they know. Sustaining, healing, reconciling, and guiding. I see them throughout Scripture. I see them throughout church history. So let me briefly walk through what that looks like in individual counseling, and then make a comparison contrast for marriage counseling. So sustaining and healing is really helping the sufferer. We think about biblical counseling as dealing with saints who suffer and and face besetting sins. So sustaining and healing Help somebody in the midst of suffering. Sustaining says it's normal to hurt. We give people permission to grieve in sustaining. We empathize with the suffering counselee as we direct them to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. In healing, which communicates it's possible to hope, the counselor seeks to encourage the counselee to find their hope in God and God's resurrection, hope, and power. Then those second two, reconciling and guiding, that's really biblical counseling and care that helps somebody struggling against besetting sins. In reconciling, we're helping people to face their sin, face-to-face with Christ, to repent and to find His gracious forgiveness. And then in guiding this repentant, forgiven believer, we help that person to tap into Christ's resurrection power, to put off the old way of living and, and to put on the new way of living in and through Christ. So that's individual counseling and marriage and family counseling. And in these two books, I use these same four roadmaps or compass points, but really in a very different way. And I'll illustrate it with just that first one, sustaining in marriage counseling. So if I empathize with a hurting wife while her husband listens in, here's what he's likely to hear when they get home. Why can't you be understanding like Pastor Kellerman? (laughs) So my empathy, if that's the extent of my marriage counseling, can actually cause more harm than good. So I will certainly empathize with an individual spouse. But I want to encourage and empower a husband to empathize with his wife and a wife to empathize with their husband. I mean, think about the power of that. Husband and wife, they come in, they've been hurt by each other, and they're focused only on the hurt their spouse is causing. Now, if they can humbly step back, look at life through their spouse's eyes and soul and communicate, wow, I've really been hurtful to you. I've been so focused on my own pain that I've totally missed how much pain I'm causing you. Can you forgive me? I mean, when we help a couple get to this point, I mean, our our counseling work is just about done. That's what I mean by helping couples really become each other's best biblical counselor. So instead of my sustaining healing, reconciling, and guiding them, I help them learn to sustain each other as they empathize with each other's hurt. I help them to learn to implement biblical healing so they encourage each other to cling to God's hope together. Biblical marriage counselor helps them to to reconcile with each other by seeking and granting forgiveness. And the biblical marriage counselor guides and disciples the couples so that they can guide and disciple each other as they learn together how to apply God's truth to their marriage relationship. So we take this sustaining, healing, reconciling, and guiding model, and instead of the counselor focusing just individually, we get that husband and wife working together in their own relationship.
0: Well, in gospel-centered family counseling, you emphasize that family counselors don't replace parents. They empower parents. So can you develop that concept further for us?
1: Yeah, that goes back to all that equipping that we talked about and the counselors to equip the couple or the family to equip each other. And it also relates to this idea of family members sustaining, healing, reconciling, and guiding each other. I told you I use those phrases a lot. So like we did with marriage counseling and sustaining, let's think about it with family counseling and sustaining. So our listeners, let's all picture a mom and a dad with a discouraged and distant teen. They're sitting in front of you. They're all upset. They're frustrated with each other. They're all hurt by each other. Now imagine that over time, you could help those hurting parents to look at the log in their own eye, look at the hurt in their teen's heart, and say with maturity and and compassion and humility, something like this, son, we're sorry for the hurt we've been causing you. We're finally beginning to understand some of the discouragement you're feeling and that we're responsible for. The Bible says not to embitter or discourage your children, but we've been doing that with you. Please forgive us. I mean, what a breakthrough when a family gets to that point. Imagine over time, perhaps a lot of time, uh, that that teen son begins to sense the sincerity in his parents' hearts, and, and his heart begins to soften. And maybe he says in counseling something like this, hey, it's not only you guys. I'm starting to see how I've hurt both of you with my angry attitude. I don't like the way I've been. I don't like how we've been. And I'm not sure how I change or how we change, but I want things to be different. So getting to this point of mutual empathy and and mutual ownership, it's never easy. That's why I've written these two books on it. But once a family starts on this healthy and really holy path, then real family change is possible. And and what's really important about this, it's change that lasts beyond the counselor. They don't just become counselor dependent. you disciple them to disciple one another. And that's what I mean by you don't replace the parents, you empower the parents.
0: Well, thank you just for offering even a really brief example of what a dialogue might even look like, because as you highlight in both the books, good marriage and family counseling gets the couple or the family actually talking to each other, maybe even in the counseling session. So this seems like a natural idea that everyone would practice, but why is it seldom utilized and how can counselors learn to do this well?
1: Yeah, I do a lot of supervision, individual counseling, marriage and family counseling. And what I've found, Christine, is that a lot of counselors, because we've been trained so much in individual counseling, we treat marriage and family counseling as individual counseling with an audience. So in other words, I counsel the husband and the wife listen. I counsel the wife and the husband listen. I counsel the parents and the children listen. You kind of get the idea. But we end up inviting very little interaction between the couple or among the family members. And as a result, this is where counselees become very counselor dependent. Now, you yes, ask the good and important question, why don't we do this? It seems natural that we would have couples and families talk to each other. Here's why we don't do it. It's scary and messy. I mean, you ask a hurting husband and wife to talk to each other, and you're going to invite some real and raw conversation. Uh, you ask an angry teen to talk to his controlling father and his perfectionistic mother, and you're going to get a messy conversation. So I think as counselors, we don't do it sometimes because we're afraid of the mess. It's safer for us to do the talking. But of course, I mean, that's not biblical counseling. That's not maturity as a counselor. And there's a couple of real problems with avoiding honest conversation. In marriage and family counseling. First, I mean, how can we as a counselor provide any timely counsel if we haven't witnessed firsthand the couple's struggle or the family's disagreement? I mean, we think all the time in counseling about the he said, she said. Well, this is what happened back then. This is what happened. And we're trying to play the role of Solomon figuring out what's really going on. But if we have them counseling and talking right in front of us, we get that firsthand evidence. Second, husbands and wives and and parents and and kids are going to have messy conversations with or without us. So wouldn't it be better to invite them to have these conversations in our presence so we can coach them in how to face the heart issues behind their angry words? Christine, you also asked the question, so how do we do it? So first of all, that's why we don't do it because we're afraid of it but then how do we do it? A couple of thoughts. And of course, the book spends chapters after chapter doing this. But first, in our presence, during counseling, we invite face-to-face conversation. And whenever I do that, The couple might talk to each other for a minute, then they start talking to me. Sometimes I'll just turn their chairs to face them. Sometimes I'll literally get up and move behind them. Sometimes in this COVID era of doing a lot of counseling online through Skype or Zoom, I'll turn my camera off. Talk to each other. Don't talk to me. We have to really work to get that couple interacting. When I do that, I don't ask them just, tell me about the disagreement you had a week ago. I'll say, tell me about how you're feeling right now about that disagreement you had a week ago. This is when the messy conversations start happening right in front of us. So then what do we do next? Well, I'll often ask, is what I just heard, is that pretty typical of how your conversations go at home? And they'll often say, yeah, but they're worse at home. We're trying to be in our best behavior in front of you. Of course, I'm thinking to myself, wow, if that's best behavior, it's got to be really messy at home. But, you know, that's really okay. At least we have this first-hand data because we've witnessed and heard their interaction. So now what we do is we talk about their talking. We help them to hear each other, and then we start this sustaining, healing, reconciling, and guiding process. We help them to hear the hurts that they're causing each other and and their spouse's feeling. That's sustaining. We help them to begin to talk together, not just talk to us, not just us talking at them, but they talk together about how God can resurrect their relationship. That's healing. We help them to take the log out of their eye, confess their sin to each other, and move toward forgiving each other. That's reconciling. We empower them to apply biblical principles together as they study the Scriptures in our presence and apply it to their lives. Of course, all of this is going to happen over a number of sessions. This is not like a quick snap of the finger. But but in summary, in our presence, we equip couples and families to talk to each other and to talk together about how they can apply God's Word to their unique marriage and family situation. And in this model, this is what we really mean by the couple, the the family becoming each other's best biblical counselors.
0: Now, the subtitle of your books, as you mentioned earlier, is An Equipping Guide for Pastors and Counselors. So would those two groups, pastors and counselors, be your only primary audience for these resources, or do you have other readers in view also?
1: I think that word primary is a good word. Uh, Certainly, pastors and counselors are an important audience. I did have pastors in mind as I wrote this book. As I mentioned earlier, at best, most pastors have had maybe one course on counseling, and often it really isn't focused on marriage and family counseling. If it's focused on marriage and family at all, it's a theology of counseling. And these pastors increasingly face more and more difficult marriage and family situations, just like i illustrated in my own ministry at the beginning of our interview. So I really want this book to increase a pastor's level of confidence in their confidence in Christ that they really can help couples and families in their churches. And then, yes, the next group I pictured is counselors, but of course we've got to define counselors. I'm not just picturing professional Christian counselors or even biblical counselors with a master's degree in counseling, though that's certainly part of the audience. But in the biblical counseling world, as you know, Christine, we train thousands of lay counselors. So I'm really picturing pastoral counselors, counselors with master's degree, lay counselors with certificates. And that's why I really tried to write the book in a a user-friendly way so that anyone who cares about marriages and families can be further equipped to provide that soul care then, obviously, I also wrote these two equipping guides for professors and students, Bible colleges, Christian colleges, Christian grad schools, seminaries. As I mentioned, we really have few to no books in the biblical counseling world on the the how-to of marriage and family counseling. And so Gospel-Centered Marriage Counseling, Gospel-Centered Family Counseling seeks to fill that void for our professors and students. And then there's a, a final audience. I wrote these books for couples and parents. So the first three chapters of each book They do walk through something of a theology, a very practical theology, where I try to paint for families and for couples a a biblical portrait of what a healthy marriage and a healthy family look like. They're kind of like a, a flashing neon light indicating here's the goal that we're working toward in the rest of the chapters in this book. Some readers have been gracious enough to say those initial chapters are are worth the price of the book and they could be a standalone book for couples and parents. So again, the audience is broad while the focus of the books is is quite specific.
0: Now, Bob, as I was thinking through questions for our chat today, I wanted to throw this one out at you because and I think it's important because too, you mentioned about this is not a recipe like a one, two, three checklist. You accomplish all of this in one or two sessions and then everyone goes on their way. I've heard people say before, for, oh, I've tried biblical counseling for my marriage, or I've tried biblical counseling, you know, with my teen, and it didn't work. So what kinds of expectations should we be setting in advance for the families and married couples we're counseling with, especially when it comes to goal setting?
1: Well, if a couple set of parents asked me that question before I went to a generic general answer, I would want to really hear them out. I'd want to hear for their unique situation, what are their specific concerns. Walk me through the biblical counseling you had. When you say it didn't work, what, what are the areas where you didn't see growth and change like you wanted to? You know, that would be a very person or couple or family-specific answer that I would want to do. You know, as biblical counselors, we want to do good listening. But let's assume we've done that part, and we've covered that with careful, compassionate listening, and we've addressed their specific concerns. So for our listeners, let me kind of address the broader question of how I try to go about aligning my goals with the couple's goal or the family's goal. So in the book, I have a a goals and focus form. Now, in the biblical counseling world, a lot of people use a a four or five-page personal information form, and I use that a lot of times. But I found sometimes that's pretty intensive, hurting couples, struggling families to complete. So I created and, and put a little bit of a different version in each of the books, one specific for families, one specific for couples, the goals and focus forms. Five questions, one page. And let me just walk through these questions, and then I'll talk about how I use these. So question one, and this would be the one for couples. What are the top two or three areas in your heart, actions, attitude, and way of relating to your spouse, That you want help changing so that you can be more Christ-like and your marriage can be more Christ-honoring. I mean, you can pick up there. You're focused on, all right, take that log, take that speck out of your own eye. Number two, what are the top two or three strengths that you see in your spouse that you want to affirm? That can be hard when couples come in for counseling. But that's very important to be thinking about. Question three, what are the top two or three aspects of your marriage that you want help changing so that your marriage can be more Christ-honoring? We're honest. They're coming in because there's problems. So lay that out. But notice that gospel-centered end to that question so that your marriage can be more Christ-honoring. Then a question I really enjoy interacting with couples about, let's create an Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 vision for your marriage. We read that passage together. And then there's two sub questions with that. Think you had three months or three years, as God does exceedingly abundantly above all you could think, ask, or imagine, and that's Ephesians three, twenty. In your heart and in your marriage, what two or three amazing changes are you envisioning, praying for, and hoping for? And the second sub question under question four, what needs to happen in your heart and in your relationship? so that through Christ's strength, these amazing changes start occurring. Notice that, through Christ's strength. Even that question is one of those gospel-centered sort of questions. And then the fifth question is more kind of a, a catch-all. What else do you want us to know, think about, or focus on in our times together? So, Christine, I've used these five questions hundreds of times with hundreds of couples, and their responses provide weeks' worth of biblical goals and focuses that we work on together. And that's what I think is important. The way that's worded, it's a guided gospel-centered list of questions so that we can collaboratively set our goals and focus for marriage and family counseling.
0: That sounds really helpful. And even just to get the counselees or the families or the couples to even think in those terms, because I think also when we're coming for counseling, we're, we're having a problem. There's a conflict or there's some you know stressor going on, and we may not be thinking with that biblical perspective, that gospel-centered perspective you even offer just through the questions that you ask on that form. And so I think it is really neat to even just propose those questions for people to sit and think through, because maybe they just haven't even had the bandwidth to sit down and really reflect on what some of those answers might be. So I think that's really, really helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Well, we have got time for one more question. And so I'd like to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening who is intrigued by what we've been talking about but they feel a little overwhelmed about taking next steps toward getting equipped for this kind of ministry. Maybe the whole idea just sounds a little intimidating. What would you say to this listener?
1: Well, I would say based on my first answer to your first question that I get that. Remember, I was pretty intimidated, even after the years of doing marriage and counseling ministry. So I can certainly identify with that. And then I would say, you know, with anything, start small. Buy an introductory book on biblical counseling. Buy my books on marriage and family counseling. As I describe these, you can work through those step-by-step. Each skill builds upon each other as you go through those skill-building exercises little by little. As you mentioned, Christine, do this with a group of people so that you're learning together. I mean, go to a weekend seminar on marriage and family ministry. Uh, Attend a biblical counseling conference. Start reading blog posts on biblical counseling, one another ministry, marriage and family ministry. It's really getting yourself saturated into this idea. And then, of course, get connected with the local church. And a local church that provides equipping in biblical counseling, biblical and marriage counseling. And one of the other things, I mentioned how much supervision I do. If you're going to start growing as a counselor, especially a counselor for the complexity of family and and marriage situations, find a supervisor, an experienced counselor who can help you to walk through and keeps you growing as a biblical marriage and and family counselor. And again, I wrote these books because I get it. It is intimidating to sit down with troubled couples and families, but we really can become competent to counsel in and through Christ. And that's the focus of Gospel-Centered Marriage Counseling gospel-centered family counseling, growing more and more competent to counsel couples and families.
0: Thank you so much, Bob, for those words of encouragement. I'm just sitting here reflecting on everything you've said. And I, I'm i thinking, man, you know, this is one of those conversations where taking notes would be super helpful. But then I think, you know what, just buy the books and so that you don't have to worry about taking the notes because everything you've covered today is in the books already. And so if you are interested in learning more about these two resources that Bob has put together for us, go ahead and scroll down to the link in the show notes, and that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access those two books, also information about connecting with Bob. Now, Bob, if there's someone listening to today's show who wants to get connected with you and your ministry, they want to learn more about the the books you've written and the blogs and resources you have available, where can they go to connect with you online?
1: Yeah, they can visit my website, www.rpmministries.org. And on that website, every one of the books, and I think I'm up to about 23 books, there's a section with free resources related to every book. So I imagine between the 23 books and the resources, there's over 250 free resources on that website. There's also videos of me teaching on various of these books and topics. One of the other things I started a couple years ago, Christine, was a Facebook page that I know you're part of, Gospel-Centered Biblical Counseling and Equipping. And we have about 3,500 members now. And it's a great place because it's, it's certainly not about Bob. It's about the 3,500 members. And we ask questions about where can we find a resource on this? Where can we connect to a counselor in Boca Raton? Where can we do this? It's really very much a community. So that's uh, Gospel-Centered Biblical Counseling and Equipping, a Facebook group. Folks can can join that. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And they can follow me on there. And the books are Baker Books. So you can order the books at Baker Books, order them at my website. You can order them at Amazon, CBD, all your your typical online e-tailers.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time to meet with me today to talk about these two resources. And you've really offered us a lot to chew on with regards to what it actually looks like in practice in the session to counsel families and married couples. So I'm really thankful for this conversation and just for your effort and putting these books together and for joining me for the podcast today. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. And thank you, Christine. This has been great.
0: Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.